Mid-century homes just live well. They make the most of small spaces, connect your inside with views and space beyond, have glowing warm materials that invite you to linger, and exist mostly on one convenient level. Today, you're going to hear this concept backed up by someone besides me in my chat with Adrienne Kinney. Adrienne is a Denver-area realtor, designer, and enthusiastic advocate of all things mid-century design. He has now restored seven Cliff May homes in Denver and lived in two of them, and he helps passionate mid-century lovers buy and sell and then update great mid-century homes every day. In our conversation today, we're talking about how valuable these homes can be because they're so well-designed, not just an essential feeling type of value, but actual dollars and cents. Folks, you are going to hear it here from an official source that is not me. Well-built and well-maintained or remodeled mid-century homes in the Denver market can go for two times the square foot value of a less well-done builder-grade home right across the neighborhood. So today I'm talking with Adrian about why it is mid-century homes live so well. Hey there. Welcome back to Mid-Modern Model. This is the show about updating MCM homes, helping you match a mid-century home to your modern life. I'm your host, Della Hansman, architect and mid-century ranch enthusiast. You're listening to Season 10, Episode 4. Okay, before we get started, your resource of the week is Adrian. Adrian is your resource of the week. Follow his Instagram, check out his Facebook group, read his article in Curbed several years ago, which still provides excellent advice to anyone planning to update a mid-century home. Spoiler alert, I read this article long before I met Adrian and put it into my mid-century resources list. So if you want even more amazing resources beyond just Adrian himself, go ahead and grab my free download, my 89 favorite mid-century resource. Articles like the one in Curbed, books, blog posts, people to follow, products to search for, and ways that you can learn more about mid-century homes and how to make the most of yours. One more note, we're still looking for just the right designer to join our team, so if you know a person who might be a great fit for Midmodern Model, or if you are that person, come and say hello. Find out more on our website at midmod-midwest.com careers. Find all the other resources I've mentioned and the show notes, the transcript of this interview at midmod-midwest.com slash 1004. So it's so great to have you here. Um, and we had such a great connection at your big event this fall at our, I guess it was, it was totally the summer. It was August at Denver Modernism Week. So I wanted to just start off by going all the way back to the beginning and asking you what drew you to mid-century in the first place, Adrian? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me on this. I really appreciate it. And thanks for coming out. And uh, like we mentioned a little beforehand, you got to see all of this behind me here in person, which is really fun. Um, For anyone who's watching this, uh, we've got a video on Facebook. You can see in the background Adrian's gorgeous uh, kitchen divider and a little sitting room in the corner. I got to visit his house in person when I was there for Denver Modern Weekend. It is like chef's kids. It is chef's kids gorgeous say that six times fast but yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's lovely thank you I really appreciate it and it's uh as you saw it's definitely become a passion of mine not just kind of a passing fancy um I think probably everyone that's heard the stories heard a million times uh really liked modern you know the kind of open area a lot of glass uh you know modern tends to be a little harsher in the materials concrete you know steel glass so just the the darker feeling materials mm-hmm. um as I kind of went down that rabbit hole, I started finding the warm elements and some of those warm elements were wood walls, wood uh, furniture, a lot of sculpted wood, wood furniture that was also sculpted. And when I saw the combination of those things became this whole mid-century thing that I opened up the door to. 
I was able to look into that a little further and I was like, wow, it still has all the windows and the open space, but it really connects to out of doors and it's a lot warmer with the wood elements and it just feels like it's livable versus, you know, modern to me personally, just doesn't feel as livable. I know a lot of folks enjoy it, but to me, I really like those kind of wood elements that warm it up. And that's what kind of transitioned me is I really started with the modern and I saw how great the transition to the mid-century is. Obviously, modern came from that, but it was a really uh, kind of eye-opening thing that this whole world existed where there was these warm elements, but it still was a livable space. And a lot of times they aren't massive houses. They just, they live really well. They connect outside really, really well with the doors and windows and courtyards. So really fell in love with it, especially being in Colorado. We have so many sunny days. So having this ability to kind of go in and out and use your outdoor space so well, really fell in love with the whole mid-century concept. Yeah, that's so funny because I only really became a mid-century obsessive when I bought a ranch house. But having been trained in architecture, you know, most of the professors who are still teaching in architecture schools today are Hart's old school modernists. And so, you know, the glass, the concrete, the brick, this is the way we are trained as architects to appreciate design. And I both always loved it and always felt like, I like this, this phrase you're using lives really well. I felt like modernism didn't always live really well. It could be beautiful. And if you chose to sort of frame your life around it, you can live in a modernist art museum if you want to, although they're not always the best places for pets or kids or people with, you know, who, with who need to get around a certain way. But a mid-century yeah. home is just that. It takes a bunch of the simplicity of design. Mm-hmm. It warms it right up and it lives so well. So it's, it's yes. really fun. Yes. So did you immediately connect with a mid-century house you could live in yourself? Uh, I did. So when I kind of found that I love that style, uh, we were living in a our first actual place that we bought a condo down in the Denver Tech Center, about you know, 15 minutes south of, of downtown Denver. Um, cute little place. We kind of got our, our feet wet and how to do remodels. We did most of the work ourselves. You know, it was basically uh, every extra paycheck we put towards the remodel. That's <laughs> right. A lot of sleeping on the floors and like it was it was the start of everything, but we really appreciate it. I, I occasionally miss it because I think the overhead was like five fifty a month for the mortgage and the HOA that I was like, hmm, those were good times. Like that was, <laughs> that, was that was very nice. Um, loved it. Really realized we, you know, we wanted dogs, so we needed a yard. We wanted to have a house. We were ready to kind of let the condo life go. Really enjoyed that. We were there for um, almost exactly two years or so to kind of get that the tax benefit from it. Um, found out that we had these mid-century modern houses and uh, another one of the founders, Adam Stevens, was really kind of starting to push on a small website at the time that we have these Cliff May houses in Colorado. And we actually had the largest tract of them outside of Long Beach that's ever been found at this point. And at the time they were still, and anyone that has Denver real estate, plug your ears, it was uh, still the high $100,000 price tags um, to purchase them. When was that? Uh, 2011, nope, 2013. Uh, so, so still not, not that, that long, long ago, ago. No. and a whole different era of housing. Yeah, absolutely. So it, yeah. uh, you know, we were, we bought our condo for 67,000, which is also a baffling number because cars cost that much these days. Um, sold that, bought the Cliff May. And a lot of it was, I, you know, I personally felt that they were underappreciated both just by the a lot of them were dilapidated um, and the fact that no one really marketed them as such. So no one was really being brought to them and it appreciated the mid-century modern or modernist style. Yeah. Um, they really just 
spoke to me. I was like, you know what? I think I can really love this house and go for it. Um, it was actually a, a, a story. I'll make it short on this. Now we have a time thing. Um, it wasn't quite listed. Um, a neighbor at the time that I had connected with that was had a couple houses of theirs featured in magazines and kind of the the public face of the Cliff Maze of the time um, connected with. And I was like, hey, if you see anything coming up, one of the three, two configurations, you know, let me know. I, we really want to buy in this neighborhood. We really want to fix one up. You know, we want to be part of this fun movement. Um, and he let me know that uh, across the street from him and down three or four houses was probably going to come up for sale. Gave me their info, chatted with them. Um, they were a little dodgy to, to kind of connect with at first. Uh, and then they said they hired an agent. And for me in my world, with because I'm a licensed agent, those are kind of like the death kill words that I can no longer speak with the seller at that point in time. So it was like, okay, give me your agent's number because I have to talk with them directly. I can no longer speak with you. And knowing how hard it was to get a connection with them, I was like, great, like this is dead in the water. And, you know, the market wasn't competitive, but I knew that, you know, these were starting to be a little bit more recognized. So I didn't want it to go to market. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, uh, you know, got the agent's number. I asked, Hey, right before it lists, can we just at least see it? I think it's of interest to us. Uh, went in, absolutely fell in love. Um, did everything we possibly could cut my commission, just got into the house again. This was 187, uh, with, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> a whole bunch of money. Um, but that was kind of our fun. It was kind of, we got into it. It worked out, um, you know, chased it off market, really kind of made the connections that I could to get into it. Uh, lived there for three years, renovated the heck out of it, um, really got my start in the real estate side of things, started selling my neighbor's houses that were leaving. They really saw that I had a passion for the design side, but also a way to actually advertise these really well. I use a lot of what Adams has helped me with my knowledge side and his Cliff May background mm-hmm. to you know use my marketing side and my real estate savvy to combine those and just showcase them different, you know, start using Instagram and Facebook and, you know, showcase them as a cliff may and not just, you know, a nice ranch in Harvard Park. Right. So we got the traction, value started going up. Some of it was obviously the crazy Denver market. Some of it was the fact that, you know, they were advertised correctly now. And a lot of the ones that were selling were done up in a good way that folks were like, wow, what kind of house is this? I didn't know Denver had those. Right. So that's how we got into it. Um, Love that house very much. That's the one that's, you know, you'll see it all over Dwell now and again. It's, it shows mm-hmm. up and uh, we won the Denver Mayor Design Award for the work I ended up doing on it. Um, started my career in the design side. Um, since then, I've done six other Cliff May fix and flips that I purchased and uh, actually done the work on. Then resold, obviously. Um Gosh, and I think I have to recount, but I'm somewhere in the 40 to 50 range of transactions I've been a part of for the Cliff Maze uh, at this point in time. So they're really my babies. I know them way too well, having <laughs> you know owned now seven of them. I think I'm probably one of the holders of the most of them. I also find that, but it's I'm up there. Seven of them, it, it's been quite a bit. So that obviously translated then into our current house that we're in, but it's really where I got my start, got my love for him, learned about, you know, uh, architect for the masses as Cliff May was technically not an architect, but he was kind of the one that everyone, you know, looked to at the time. He was the, you know, father of the ranch house and created this whole right. modernist for everybody. So it was really fun to kind of live in the, his tract home and then, you know, extra appreciated as I renovated it and then helped showcase it. 
We had um, some of the biggest home tours ever that I put on, even bigger than Modernism Week sometimes. Um, when the Cliff Maze are really getting their start and tickets were like five bucks and we had hundreds and hundreds of people that came through and it was a blast. Um, and the the time we lived there too, the owners were all about our age at the time, you know, 20, I don't know, 23 to 30 or so. And they were all young folks. We were all overly ambitious. We, you know, would go to <laughs> each other's houses to see what everyone was doing renovation wise. And we're like, Ooh, I should do that too. Or that's what's behind that wall. I had no idea. So it was just very cool period of time for those houses too. Obviously, they went up quite a bit in price. Uh, most everyone that I was friends with had left. It was life-changing sums of money how much they went up. And a lot of folks really got to pursue their dreams. Uh, one got into RISD and were able to pay for their RISD scholarship. Uh, one, the whole family moved to North Carolina and opened up the surf shop they always wanted to. So it was a really cool, like, it was a chunk of change, but it was fun to see everyone kind of chase their dreams after watching these, you know, cliff maze that they've loved and worked on, appreciate value over the time and kind of start their next phase of life from that point in time. So sorry, long answer on that one, but we did find one. It was a fun off-market chase and the uh, three years we were there was really, really special for us. Well, I love that. And it's really, it's so interesting as a connoisseur of something, and now, you know, getting into mid-century houses, you kind of can't help get, get into mid-century fashion, history, decor, uh, et cetera. You know, so even in the sort of microcosmic example of looking for vintage fill-in-the-blank, mm-hmm. evergreen Christmas tree, or, you know, a particular type of odd thing as you're looking for it in vintage shops, on Facebook Marketplace, on Etsy, it's both really satisfying to see it, like, recognized and priced appropriately, and it's so fun to, like, find it unappreciated under yes. a pile and sort of the same thing with houses so I love to hear the stories of people who just like found an amazing mid-century house that nobody cared about and turned it into something amazing but it's also for for the houses it's really good that they are now being more recognized and you've really contributed to some of the work and as you say Adam Stevens who I also have to have on the podcast at some point absolutely he is like your cliff may historian like he knows the stuff if you want like the the nitty-gritty details and he's been so gracious to you know share it with the world like i said a lot of my start was you know built on his you know his website and i was able to take my business savvy and i was like why does nobody know about these in colorado and in denver like you should pay a billion dollars and now now they are so unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) oops that's definitely some of my fault on that but it's they're they're very cool houses well it's this is broader than our scope of conversation, perhaps, but it does make me feel like as an architect, I love specializing in renovations, but knowing how tight the housing market is, it just frustrates me that we can't get back to building right-sized houses like this. You know, these ones with the craft that they have built into them are obviously becoming less and less affordable, but some of the design principles of mid-century should be usable in affordable design Absolutely. now. And having more houses available would mean that the price of all of them, you know, I'm not like, yay, let's lower the housing market price. Although it's a little. It, it's a little cray-cray. And I think everyone agrees crazy. with that, that it's like, it can come down a bit and everyone will still be fine. Like but what, everything that's new, there isn't enough new stuff being built. And everything that's new is like not very well designed and doesn't have the no, and it, re- it really is i mean un- until you get to uh, you know the gosh in the denver area unfortunately because we're about seven to eight hundred ish depending on time frame of our like average price point you've really got to get to that you know 850 to mill range before you start getting like a good quality tract home in the sense of like it has some some design characteristics and at that point you know you're a million bucks and that's a lot um, you know, where if you get some of the, the Green Valley Ranches one and the uh, Reunion are the two kind of new biggest development areas in Denver, er, Denver area. They're they're north about 
uh, Green Valley Ranch is technically in Denver. Uh, the other one's up in Thornton-ish. They're still 650 to 700 in there. Kind of like, yeah, you get the new things that don't break as quickly. Yeah, quality. We can, we can discuss that part of it another time. Right. Um, but it's uh, interesting to see because I have a client that are like, you know, do you trade off where it's, you know, it's new. But the price points are still getting up there on some of these new builds where there's a premium on it, obviously. And they're giving up. They All my clients call it. And I apologize anyone watching that lives in one. They're more soulless for sure. You know, they are they're made on CAD and there's, you know, design one, two or three instead of like, how does it sit on the lot? How does the sunlight go during the day? What's the outside space like? It's mm-hmm. like, what are the four lot lines and how many houses can we put here? Um, and that's how they're built today. Um, and kind of like it's elevation one, two, three on the outside and that's about it. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, there, there's some trade-offs for sure They're you know, they're nicer, more efficient, et cetera, for it. But uh, it's interesting to see because it's, you know, it's very much a stark like, you either go down the new build route or you don't. And it's not kind of like you don't just happen to search for them. Like it, it's a route in itself to go that way. Right, for my clients are. It's interesting too, because actually a lot of the mid-century homes we love were very were type one, type two, type three back in the day. And I would argue they had some fun design features. Even a builder basic ranch had some fun design features <laughs> that a new build is just doesn't have some of those little moments but the other fun thing about going for a vintage mid-century house is that over time they have all gained their own story they've all been updated or backdated or added on to or tweaked in interesting ways right it's really fun and so i think yeah the advocacy piece is really important and it does raise the price but it is how how we spread the word and get these houses preserved well and and remodeled well if people are going to put money into them do they put their money and their energy into increasing their mid-century character rather than turning a vintage mid-century house into a soulless new build yes and and we're we're finally seeing that and a lot of it i mean you're probably seeing it in your areas too of you know before denver was kind of a more midwest-ish town than it was a a major city Mm -hmm. um and a lot of our houses and price tags were reflective of that where it was kind of like here's a price tag that's very affordable because you just kind of put a roof over your head and you work and especially in colorado you you basically you know live to you work to live um and you don't live to work you know you you get your 40 hours clock and then you go up to the ski slopes or you go up to the hiking trails and like that's just a very colorado thing um so you know having a style of house or you know a bungalow or a tutor or a period correct house for whatever era it's in was not really heard of until about 10 or 15 years ago and that's where we started seeing the kind of like oh a mid-century house okay that has what kind of characteristics and now we have you know, a uh, uh, mid-century modern has this kind of price tag and a Tudor has this price tag and a, you know, a well-preserved Victorian and updated has this kind of price tag. Or again, before, you know, the Victorian, the Tudor and the mid-century probably have all been the same price. Um, it was just kind of a straight up square footage thing. And now it's like, oh, the mid-centuries are half the square footage, but they're twice the price. And that's, it's, is that pretty consistent in Denver that mid-century is actually about two x and a lot of it comes from it's because it's half the square footage because most parts don't have basements but they're on par with most of the ranch houses that you'd say if you're in an enclave across the street if it's just a ranch neighborhood we go for about the same price per square foot which makes ours a 2x price per square foot technically the other one had a basement so um they're you know if the ranch across the street is going for 750 these will be in at least the you know mill to one four range depending on the redo um, and again, that's the good and the bad part about, you know, these art pieces is they are a piece of art. And I did my best to explain that to everybody. But now, obviously, it, 
you know, everyone understands that there's more than just, you know, the four walls. It's, you know, the floor to ceiling windows and the character and, you know, the, whether you're in an enclave or not, not in one or is an architecturally built one or what's the history. So it's interesting to see in, in Denver, especially because we really didn't have, and we're still working on our whole design thing in general. Um, but we, people do appreciate these now and there is a price tag with different types of houses. Um, even if they're not in an enclave in a random spot, you will get folks that will pay a little bit more for a legitimate mid-century, um, even if it's not in an actual enclave, because those buyers do understand that there is a, you know, a higher caliber of home that they're purchasing, whether it's, you know, the livability or the, you know, the quality of build, it's, they, they appreciate it more. Yeah. And there are some pieces, I mean, I have built a business on the idea that you can even take a builder grade ranch and bring in some of these higher mid-century details and make it really charming. But some of, some of those skeletal elements of the house, happy Halloween, we're recording this on a Monday. Um, (laughs) It'll go up later, but some of those skeletal elements of the house are harder to replace. And there's something to living in a post and beam home with full glass walls that just, that I find it really remarkable. I think it's not comparable to a house of the same square footage because as you say, you're really sort of borrowing all of the adjacent spaces if done well into your living space. It's really oh, fun. It is. No, and and they're, they're so, really something to <laughs> Yeah. You've been really busy in advocacy and you've been part of a a really fun cadre of people that has gotten together and created from scratch Denver Modernism Week. Do you do more advocacy through the year? I mean, other than like to everyone you sell to. <laughs> totally. Um, right. Um, working on it. So obviously you know, on my uh, you know various social accounts, I'm not super shy about my purist uh, roots and love of things. And, you know, I nicely try to guide, you know, some of these listings, I'll, you know, make my nice comments about like, Hey, maybe this simple design choice would have gone better. And, you know, in my hopes that it's, you know, not necessarily knocking the house, but more helps to educate people in the future that, you know, maybe with the market finally shifting, you know, that house would have sold quicker had, you know, X, Y, and Z not been done and instead A, B, and C been done to the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of my kind of passive advocacy is like just constantly educating about, you know, what could have been done. Not that it would have actually cost more to do it that way. I always tell folks that my fix and flips that I do don't cost more to do than an actual mid set, like a classic just fix and flip. The capital that I expend more is the the mental thought of like, okay, what would have been done in this house correctly? And like, where can I find those pieces versus, hey, Home Depot, what gray tone do you have this weekend? Like, that's the only difference. My cost is the same. I know where to get the pieces cheap. I just have to know what to be looking for instead of, you know, what's on clearance at X, Y, and Z store. Um, So the, obviously the Denver Modernism, I'm one of the co-owners of it. And that's been our kind of pet project. And our, our point of that was to, you know, showcase the different neighborhoods, get different architects involved, have talks, tours, um, brought in back Charles Phoenix this year, really kind of help coalesce the mid-century community that we've had very strong for a long time here, but really trying to find a way to help folks feel like, you know, it's the exact same year advocacy, like you're not alone, you know, you're not the only yeah. one that thinks a, you know, a purist house is the coolest house there is, or, you know, how do you make a purist house modernized, but not ruin the character, like, I promise you're not alone and it feels like you are because all the Home Depots and Lowe's say, you know, shiplap and gray wash everything. And it's like, it's okay if you don't do that. And I promise there's a buyer that will respect what you're doing and probably will pay more. Yeah. Um, and so we're, uh, 
during the year, obviously do my best to kind of go to, um, there's the Denver Architecture Foundation that we have here in Denver. It used to be on the board of directors. Um, it does a lot more of the kind of presentation side of things. They do hard hat tours and walks and talks, but it's a phenomenal nonprofit. And they kind of just showcase all eras of buildings. And then as well, um, Adam Stevens and a couple other folks opened up the new chapter of Docomomo here in Denver, right. um, the, which is also great. So that's another advocacy group. I've finally finding time for myself in the slowing market, which is great. So I think I can hopefully finally attend some of those meetings, but obviously donate where I can to, you know, Docomomo and Denver Architecture Foundation. Um, and then we're looking as Denver uh, Modernism Week has evolved to try to do some events throughout the year to kind of keep the momentum going, but also be able to showcase homes and, you know, keep the period alive to say like, Hey, here's, you know, these houses in October and, you know, showcase them. So folks can, you know, keep inspired and know what to do for the right things is a lot of the advocacy stuff um, that everything I can just all the time, just talking about it and doing stuff like this is helpful. So people are like, Oh, Oh yeah, that is a great idea. Um, I funny enough, actually a house that I'd sold three owners ago, uh, two other people have bought it since. Uh, he's now a roofer that uh, I'll be working with for some of my clients on a project. And he bought me lunch. I was trying to pay for it. And he said he actually used my um, curbed article that came out God, probably five or six years ago now that has like nine points of how to remodel a mid-century modern house that if you search mid-century modern design, it's it's about midway through the first page or two. And he was like, I used it. And then I saw that it was yours. So like, it's a thank you for the lunch today because you actually helped us make sure we do the right things. And I was like, God, I forgot about that article. Um, so it's, that's some of my thing too, is there's hopefully some passive out there that my nicely shaming things or, you know, educating people about what to do uh, are still making its rounds so that the folks are trying to figure out like how to thread the needle of, you know, new and old. They right. feel inspired by things I've done or, you know, they find the right people in their geographic areas to, feel inspired for their things like yourself in the Midwest. I think it's phenomenal and, you know, great resource for those around you. Yeah. And you're absolutely singing my song to say that it doesn't even need to cost a single dollar more. It can sometimes, you know, the thing that's going to make your remodel cost more or less is not the style choice you make. No, it's the individual, the labor cost and the materials. It's basically just that design If you pay a professional, it costs a little bit of money, but it's so cheap in its ability to 10x the result that you get to make it glorious for like the exact same bottom line versus adequate or legal. You know, the the baselines for what you need in a remodel is that it fixes a problem or solves a maintenance hassle or, you know, you've added in some necessary square footage. Sure. Those are That's why you started to do it. But like, don't you want it to be amazing? Don't you want to feel satisfied? Don't don't you want to make the neighbors a little bit jealous? Um, You know, like that comes from design. That comes from the thinking energy. It comes from your, for you, when you're doing your houses, it comes from your experience of seeing all the great things you've seen as you've poked into all these houses, pulling together the research you've done, and then feeling inspired to add something simple or something that takes a little bit of elbow grease. Yes. But it's just a bit different, a little bit more authentic than something that you would have found, as you say, at Home Depot, which again, like you can get materials at Home Depot totally. as long as you choose the right ones. Absolutely. <laughs> but there are some there are so many more options out there than just choosing the most obvious option in gray from Home Depot. And I say this as a girl who loves gray, but yeah, it's yes. broaden but... your horizons and take a minute for design and then you will win. That's 
song. Yes. And I did a huge advocate, obviously, for good designers because there's, you know, especially again, it's, it's a, also a champion to my real estate side. You know, as things are changing, buyers are getting pickier. You know, the interest rates are higher, prices are higher. A combination of that is they're wanting to buy, but they're they're looking at their bottom line. You know, if they're paying mm-hmm. four or five, six thousand dollars a month for an average house, they want to make sure that they're buying something that they really feel that that X amount of dollars a month is really worthwhile. And, you know, if you go into a house that's very nicely remodeled, but you can tell all they really did was keep the same footprint and change out the cabinets and sure they're nice cabs and nice fixtures, but the house next door spent the same amount, but they reconfigured it a little bit and maybe didn't use as high end, but the flow is way better. Yeah. Same price. Probably the second house that has a better flow is going to go quicker than the one that's just shinier. Mm-hmm. Um, and that goes to the design side. We're sure they maybe spent 5,000 on a designer, but the house will probably sell for more and probably quicker. Um, yeah. And so it's, you know, if it's just for a flip or if it's for yourself to live in, it's always worth it. Like I say, now I'm always a do-it-yourselfer type thing, but having professional opinions is very helpful and they're professionals for a reason I've learned yeah. over the years. So that's, there's a reason for them. Absolutely. And I mean, I think you've got a real eye. You obviously, you know, designers, you chat with designers. I'm not sure if you've ever hired one. You clearly are doing just fine on design, but this is the sort of thing that for, for anyone who's struggling, like you don't have to DIY design in order to DIY your remodel. You can ask for a little help with that and then still put in most of the work with yourself and your father-in-law and have a good time on every weekend. You know, it's not an all or nothing proposition. I think people sometimes fear that bringing in any design expertise at all is just handing over the project to someone else. And it's not like that. No, I, it's a it's a great resource to have, and they can give you the literal blueprints. And if you're handy enough, all you have to do is follow them. And like you said, you and the the family member on the weekends can take care of it. But at least you know the design was thought out by a professional in it, and it probably will be slightly better than kind of just you finagling it and being like, "Well, crap, that was close enough." But it's it's worth it. It's kind of bottom line on that. Yeah. Do you have something? It might be hard to pick one thing, but in your mind, is there one thing where you thought about the design in advance? And then, you know, roughly same amount of work, the result was just light bulb moment so much better than it could have been otherwise. What's your favorite design success from your own remodels? That is a great question. Um, this is actually an interesting one. That's um, kind of tangential to that also. The, gosh, it was probably in the third Cliff May that I uh, worked on to fix and flip. Um, we partner and I call it the cabin because uh, at the time was very much wooded over in the middle of Harvey Park. So it was very like, it's a little spooky, um, but purchased it. And at the time it was one of the uh, thousand square foot models and uh, there were no shotguns, so a straight linear path. Um, the previous, maybe previous, previous, previous owners connected the carport, which was in front of the property to the uh, house itself and attempted to make the kind of known L shape that the cliff maze are for. Mm-hmm. But in doing so, it was pretty awkward because you had to walk by the cardboard to get to the front door that was converted and it had like three sliding glass doors on it. So it just, it was a weird space. And once you were inside the house, you'd have to basically do a U-turn to come back around and outside then to this place. So in doing it, and this is it probably 20, ugh. 13, 14. So it's before like the cliff maze really took off. Um, and especially Harvey Park, a lot of folks were like, square footage is king. That's why the, you know, brick ranches have the basements and therefore they're worth more because they have twice the square footage. So mm-hmm. as much square footage as you can have is all that matters. It's not about style. It's all, you know, square footage, square footage. So me as my ill novice flipper, knowing these houses, I was like, 
what if I took off this addition and turned it back to a carport? I'm going to lose 250 square feet on the property. And that's only a thousand square feet to start with. I'm going to do it. Let's go for it. So in doing so, I got back the iconic corner of the cliff maze where you've, you know, it was a side load one. So the front of the house was technically on the side of the house, but Mm -hmm. you know, you have the board and batten, the front door, and then the whole glass left side, classic cliff may. I now got then the left side of it. That's no longer connected to the carport. Turned the carport back into a full-on carport, detached it fully, uh, created a fun little bistro space between the carport and the house like we actually had on our Cliff May, and technically lost about 250 square feet. So, you know, in all the value calculations, it should sell for far less. Um, I was still able, able to get absolute top dollar when I sold that house at the time. Again, it was in the threes, which is still silly. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, you know, the square footage, by all accounts, I should have gotten less. I got the same or more than I would have gotten had I kept the square footage on because of the functionality was there, mm-hmm. because it was able to get the floor to ceiling windows back because they got the courtyard back because they got one parking spot back. Usually square footage is more valuable than parking in that area, but I just went for it and it worked. And so I think that it's been a great kind of, uh, you know, beat my chest moment to folks of like, you don't have to follow the norms of, you know, you have to add more square footage or no one will buy it. I actually detached square footage and removed it and added a, not even a garage, it was just a carport, but I made it original. I made it look like it was original. And sure enough, I got a buyer that still paid top dollar for it. So I think that was one that like on paper, it sounded great and I knew it was going to be fine. But once it actually panned out, it turned out really great. And I was very happy with how it actually ended up working on the design side that you know, the the marketplace per se appreciated the fact that it was a true Cliff May with a carport and a courtyard instead of kind of a hodgepodge of additions that didn't quite work out on it. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, that was a really fun one. I'm glad it actually worked out. And it's been, like I said, it's been a fun one to showcase to people. Like it doesn't only matter about square footage. I love that. That's such a perfect example of uh, sometimes the best thing you can do to remodel a house that has had the mid-century remodeled out of it is just to roll back the clock. Yep. And I'm sure you did it very well, but just every, the previous decisions made by the previous owners in, pre, you know, maybe in the 80s, maybe in the 90s, maybe in the early 2000s, design values were different then. It's Absolutely. worth it to keep it, even if, like you say, they made the house bigger. How can you argue with that? And I I would say this as a designer. I love hearing you say this as a realtor because yeah, I always feel like that's I'm the crazy one. <laughs> if if it's not actually a realtor telling me I'm wrong, it's like the secret imaginary realtor sitting on the homeowner's shoulder being like, but what about the square footage more, more, that more, I'm more. arm wrestling with? So yes. And, and it's, you know, it's obviously specific for, you know, the house location, you know, how how the flow goes. And you know, some of it was, you know, if the house at the time were 700. Sure, mm-hmm. I could have probably dumped in a good amount to actually connect out well, you know, make it a primary like it should have been, you know, had all this plumbing into it. But, you know, given the constraints of, you know, being an investor, trying to do it correctly, the price points they were at, what actually made the most sense was to remove it. Um, right. Like I said, it, I 100% don't regret that whatsoever. The price tag made sense at the end of the day. The buyer's still in the house, funny enough, six, seven years later, haven't turned it back to an addition. They use it as a carport. Um, it. So it's, it, it's worked out. So it, it's been a fun kind of one to talk about that, you know, not always is it worth it to to add it. By all means, there are definitely times that it definitely is if it makes sense and it can be cohesive. Uh, you've been to our house, the back portion of it was a garage at one point. Mm-hmm. Previous owner turned it into kind of a rompous room and then we converted it into more of a uh, 
third bedroom, media space, another bathroom, uh, dog's room and washer dryer room. But it doesn't feel like it's an addition. You know, we did our best to make sure the floor was the same to kind of, you know, do it. So it, it felt like part of the house where that one, you know, probably would have been a detriment how we taken it off, but it made sense to keep it and attach it. But we also added in, you know, a bathroom and a lot of stuff to it. So it obviously very case specific, but um, sometimes it is possible to take it off and still get more money. Well, that's just, I think it's in general, it's a lesson and you can take, you can do less and still get more, but also just that the way the house works is as important as the way the house looks. They're both necessary elements. And so I think so often what has been, I often struggle with the sort of mid-century U-shaped single cook kitchen layout. And that's something I need to address with my homeowners, even when the house has been remodeled once twice or three times before because all the other previous remodels just took off the cabinets and put back on the same cabinets in a different style and they never addressed the layout so we're still fighting that troublesome layout which works for some families and does not work for most families layout is that's part of the way that you spend the same amount of dollars and you get a better result absolutely is think about how you want to live in it, how someone else might want to live in it, how it can be well lived in. And then Absolutely. you're winning. Yes. Do you feel like this, like that is a message that you have to be really persuasive about as well as about the mid-century style to buyers? Or does that seem like something people get intuitively when they're walking through a house? Are they relating to its layout? Do they see That's potential big... to adjust layout or will they turn down a house that doesn't have a good layout because they can't imagine fixing it? Um. I will nicely say I can help coach them just with my expertise and that. So it's a, a little bias in that sense of like, if they can't, I obviously have a skill set that I can help them as we tour a house. And obviously why folks do end up choosing me for the real estate side is I can double as, you know, I've done enough for models and know the handy side. Plus I'm a designer that I can help kind of them see it. Um, the fun yeah. part of the similar to the listing side, a lot of my clients do already have kind of an art sense to them, whether it's just painting or, you know, the, the mid-century just tends to attract that. It's, it's an artful piece of architecture. So yeah. it, I see that like, too. And it's, you know, like it's the great part of the listing side, like I said, is, you know, I don't have to stage too many of my clients' houses. It's basically like declutter. You've got great stuff. Cool. We're done. Um, because they, you know, they have a design sense. They, they appreciate whatever house they're living in. Um, so most of them, when we go through it, you know, I can help them see something that do have that kind of mind ability, thankfully to see like, okay, if you just maybe put a door here and change this here, it would actually work out really well. Um, and the funny part of that is, is most homeowners, you know, they have uh, eyes bigger than their stomach. They'll get in and, you know, they'll do a couple of little things. And then five years from now, they're like, Hey, Adrian, come check it out. We're ready to sell. And I'm like, Oh, you didn't do anything. And <laughs> it's not the end of the world. It's very common. And, you know, it's a lot of that, like, you know, you found that maybe you had a kiddo, maybe you decided, you know, you worked your butt off at work time. And so it was 80 hours a week and you just, you know, all you did was paint and maybe add one door type thing. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of the, the, the vision part that I see more is like, they see the vision. It's the, for it coming to fruition isn't as common and it's not for lack of wanting to do it. It's a lack of just having the ability of, time space money type thing where they see it they buy it they're ready to you know do that stuff and not everyone ends up doing it um which is the funnier part of it is just you know not not everyone goes for it in the end <laughs> no and so you have 
a certain amount of self-awareness is like, do you want to buy a house that's pretty close to done? Or do you want to buy a house that's a project? But even so, life can get in the way. I've, a lot of the work I do for clients is to set up a master plan that they know they're going to tackle one year at a time. And when I talk to them, I try not to, I try never to contradict anyone when they say they're going to do a project a year for the next five years. But I also document everything so that if they're coming back to the last project 10 years from now or 15 years from now, it's all still written down and neatly drawn out so that they can, they can still grab it. Um, yeah. Or in your case, you're seeing people perhaps leave it for the next person. Um, yes. And that's like I said, it's not, you know, it's, I always chuckle at it, but it's like, Dime a dozen. Like that is not a, a, a rare story. It happens all the time. And it's, you know, to homeowners out there that, you know, I feel like I'm talking to you. It's, it happens. Like I said, life gets in the way sometimes, or, you know, you feel like you need to move for some reason. It's easier for you to just not do it. And you're not mad about it because obviously you would have done it. And so it's, you know, it just it ends up working out, but it's kind of funny that, you know, that they may have bought it for the vision that's there. And then they're like, Oh, that's fine. That's no big deal. So they're like, it's actually okay. It's not as big of a deal as I thought it was. Um, so no, it's fun to see that most of them can see it. Um, I can help them see it, but it's kind of the, does it get done is the bigger question, which is kind of chuckle worthy to me. So uh, we could keep talking about this for so long, but the podcast is only a certain long. I wanted to ask before I let you go, what's the thing, if there's only one, or what is a handful of light things that you wish people knew before buying, selling, owning a mid-century home? What's What's the thing that if you could just go shout it from the rooftop to everyone, you would do all that, that all day? If you buy a post and beam mid-century, they're easier to remodel than you think. Um, especially in Colorado where they are on crawl space here. Um, I try to remind clients that a lot because, you know, they'll see a pretty dilapidated. We just had one list down the street from us. Obscene price for a dilapidated one, but someone's picking it up. Because they're actually pretty easy to remodel. And this is, you know, I totally get my my privileged sense of like I've done seven houses and like the <laughs> easy is easy, easy. It's relative. But in the sense of, yeah, of like the, we don't have plaster walls to deal with. We don't have, you know, every wall is a load bearing wall. We don't have that issue. Um, you know, the accessibility for plumbing, for piping, for any of that is all in the crawl space so you can get to it. So that's the one thing I always like to tell clients is like, you know, it is easy to move walls, to move plumbing, to kind of make it how you want it. Um, and then obviously what dovetails really easy to that is, you know, don't mess up the original as much as you can. That mm -hmm. while it is easy to do, you know, be sensitive about how you go about their model. And yes, I understand we had all original paneling here and not a single ounce of it was salvageable. We would have done it if we could have. It had all been painted, but as it was a Luan. And as you know, that's an eighth to a sixteenth of an inch thick. You try to sand it, you'll go right through it. Yeah. Um, you can try to strip it, but it just doesn't look the same. And sometimes the peelers peel right through the Luan because it's so thin that we had to put up new wood paneling. You can kind of see the little spicy mm -hmm. thing behind me. So that's the part of it too, is like, yeah, you might have to take some original out because it's not salvageable, but do your best to try to then put back in period things or save what you can and, you know, pay an homage to what was there. So I think it's the combination of, you know, the post and beam are easier to deal with than you think. And if, and when you're remodeling one of them, do your best to preserve and or replicate uh, the character because it does have a charm to it. And a lot of folks are buying it for that reason of, you know, the warmth, the, you know, the mid-century goodness and sure, put in modern appliances, modern heating and cooling, you know, new windows, you know, all that, but, you know, maybe save a pink tile here and there type thing. And it, it, the house will get back to you in, in plenty for that.
Yeah. Oh, I love this. Well, this is, I'm always telling my clients that I think that there are people, there are buyers out there that want a mid-century house and there's a realtor out there who agrees with me. And there is, there's more than one. There is here a realtor out here who agrees with me that you can sell a mid-century house, a well-loved one, maybe for more. Absolutely. You can. Because you made the right choices for it. And certainly this is me just standing on my soapbox. You're never going to turn a mid-century house into a cottage. It's never going to be a good cottage. So let it be a good mid-century house when Absolutely. you're making your changes. Anyway. Yep, and that's exactly what I tell people too, is, you know, just go back to the era of the house. If you've got a great tutor, there's a whole bunch of, you know, California yeah. tutors are phenomenal. There's a whole way you can lean into it. A lot of great original oak woodwork. It just feels better. You know, you can't shove the stuff into it, make it feel like you want it. If it doesn't work for you, buy a nice ranch that's, you know, style agnostic that doesn't have any characteristics and make it what you want. Mm-hmm. But mid-century, like you said, will never be, you know, a, a farmhouse modern. It just, it doesn't work. It, yeah, it won't. It will not. Oh, this is, this has been such a pleasure. We're going to do so it again. Much. Yes, we'll have to. This is fantastic. We have a million more things I know we can talk about. Yes. And it's relatively new news uh, for the Mid-Modern Model podcast, but I used to do a season model with breaks in between and now we're doing it every week forever so fantastic congratulations that's great it's exciting i think people want people want new advice and fun encouragement in their feed every week and i want to talk about it every week so it's great that's fantastic well i really appreciate you asking me for this i love what you do obviously and you're phenomenal to work with and i think you again for coming out and supporting denver monitors and week and super excited to see you keep growing and i'll have to tune into your podcast weekly too they sound really fun absolutely well that's this is great and hopefully i'll be at denver monitors and week again next year and hopefully some of the people that are listening right now are googling denver monitors and week right now and starting to plan Please is it do. always the same week in August? Yes, though, uh, founders, we might change it slightly just because the one thing we always pivoted around we purchased was the uh, the mod market. And because now we control that, we can also pick the weekend. So we're trying to figure it out. It seems like the with Denver changing so much, a lot of stuff is starting to happen that week. So mm-hmm. we might try to move it a little bit earlier, um, but we shall see. It uh, should know in the next month or so what we plan to do for 2023, which is weirdly just around the corner. Just around the corner, but it's pl- there's plenty of time to plan for travel. If you're Absolutely. traveling to Denver, it's a great place to go. If you're around Denver, hey, you're yes. around Denver. Just down here for you. Marvelous. Well, this has been such a treat. We will have more fun advice for you about mid-century remodeling in the near future. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I love this story of making a house smaller and yet making it better. This is the kind of advice that I do give as an architect, but always worry that people will think I'm talking through my hat. But when I hear it from a realtor, and for someone who has flipped, in the broadest and best sense of that term, purchasing a home and upgrading it and then selling it to someone who needs and wants it, as Adrian does, I know that this is really effective advice. And as we heard Adrian say, design makes the difference. You can put the same amount of dollars and the same amount of time into two different remodels, the one where you took the time to design. Using your design concepts or the help of someone else, you have taken your home to a higher level, you have made it worth more, and you've helped it to live better. So I'll use this opportunity to remind you that there are three ways that MidMod Midwest can help you fit that super valuable element of design into your plans to improve your home. Reach out today to find out if you're a good fit for one of our whole house master plans, where we help you tackle a complete remodel in one go or plan out your years long project one piece at a time. 
Or the second way is you can get our assistance to DIY an amazing master plan for yourself inside of our Ready to Remodel program, where I provide support for homeowners just like you. Form an alliance with one another, go through the steps necessary to really plan a remodel well and get that design thinking, and get ongoing support in our live office hours calls. Solve your design dilemmas, allay your cost concerns, and get the benefit of a friendly ear to answer all of your questions. Or get all your questions answered in one go. Schedule a one-hour design consultation. Let's take an hour to game out the big picture of your remodel or solve your SOS design detail emergency in a Zoom consult as soon as possible. Get a direct line to all of the resources we've mentioned today at midmod-midwest.com slash 1004. Next week on the podcast, we'll be talking about how you can make great design decisions rapidly. We'll be talking about what you can decide in one hour. I can't wait to talk to you about it then. See you next week, Midmod Remodelers.